This podcast brought to you by ACEST, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by the IA Institute, the global community of practice for IAs the world over. Join the conversation and become a member at iainstitute.org. By Vitamin Talent, you get UX, we get you jobs. Visit vitamintalent.com. By Morgan Kaufman, through superior print and digital content, our authors aim to educate our readers and inspire innovation. And by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesandarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. In this episode, Chris Baum talks with Patrick Quattlebaum, Design Director at Adaptive Path from the 2012 Information Architecture Summit in New Orleans. Patrick shares both insights and tools that designers can use to develop experiences across channels, exploring the differences between atomism and holism, and how designers often struggle with making parts of an experience that really need to be thought of as a whole. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Uh, so Patrick, thanks a lot for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to do it. Uh, if you do, just a quick favor and just talk a little bit about what your presentation was and, uh, and how you arrived at what you felt was a need to tell the story. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, my, what my presentation was about is um, I've been doing user experience consulting for over a decade. And uh, through the years, I've kind of moved up in levels of consulting and also uh, focused a lot more on strategy work. And, I, and over the years, I've been really frustrated by uh, not seeing a lot of the conceptual work that I do and my team uh, has done uh, actually uh, be realized in the real world, as I call it. Um, and and uh, recently I had the uh, fortune to work with a, a company for a very long time where I was um, on site a lot more and mm -hmm. got a lot of um, uh, insight into uh, why it's so hard to do um, complex design work, especially design work that cuts across different channels and right. in very large organizations. So what the presentation is about is, is um, kind of a reflection of, of uh, and, and doing a little homework on kind of why why the patterns I was seeing in a lot of companies that I've worked with, why they were repeating, um, mm -hmm. why uh, you see different parts of the organizations not working very well together. Uh, and then some things that I, because I was on site a lot with this client, some things that I, you know, tried to do about it. Uh, some things worked, some things didn't work. Uh, but I learned a lot through the experience, and, and a lot of what I tried to talk about in the talk was just the importance of uh, having a constructive attitude towards uh, building collaboration in the organization rather than uh, lamenting that nothing gets done or lamenting that... Uh, uh, you can't uh, get people to work together uh, very well, or or even have uh, as one person I think asked in the uh, in the questions afterward why sometimes it's actually even an adversarial relationship between different pieces of a company that are supposed to be all rallied around the customer. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the idea of atomism. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's. We don't use that term. I think we all understand what yeah. it means. I want you to tell the story because I think sure. that's a and good yeah, uh, definition. I, I should give a, a shout out to, uh, I, I worked with a really great uh, strategist, uh, Stephen Taylor, uh, and uh, used to work with me at my last firm, Aquarium, uh, and he's at a, a firm called uh, Human Spark right now. And he and I used to talk a lot about this, and he, he had a philosophy background. I've studied a bit of philosophy 
And we talked a lot about this, the concept of what really holism is mm -hmm. uh, in, in trying to define an experience. And then, uh, and then this, this opposite force, or this opposite, not really a force, a way of looking at things. So if you, if you look at of, of atomism versus reductionist thinking, holism versus atomism or redu reductionist thinking, it's really two different philosophies. So holism believes that uh, if you're if you're looking at uh, it's not just the pieces of, of say the experience. There's things that are in between that connect, and it's that gestalt of everything coming together that mm -hmm. makes it what it is. Versus atomism, which is you believe you can look at every different piece on its own, and then that then tells the whole story. Mm -hmm. um, and so give some examples of the pieces that you're talking about yeah, in so an organization. Yeah, an organization. So in, in cross channel, that would be uh, that would be all the the touch points. Um, so if you think about uh, when when you're you know one of the examples I used in the talk was you know as a lot of people do are airlines and all the different touch points that you have with it and what you have are organizations. You have one that may own the call center and one that owns the experience uh, of the airline, say, in the airport, and mm -hmm. another one the experience on the plane, and another one the digital part, like the website or the mobile. And companies I've consulted with, it's interesting how they all um, are organized around you know, who owns what, and that ownership of it, mm -hmm. those touch points start to become really the focus of their, of their jobs. Right. Uh, and then user experience professionals, we, seem, we tend to think, across that right. and understand, especially with information architecture, that's the spaces in between that users and customers are navigating and that it's the, that's where a lot of the real experience happens is in those spaces in between and a lot of where things can fall apart. Um, and so this, this, this tension between uh, more right, really more right brain people that are in user experience thinking about, about holism and a more atomistic approach that comes out of really industrial era thinking that's uh, so embedded in organizations. That's why there's a lot of tension between that. And that's why we see in, in corporations uh, a struggle to really make space for more holistic thinking. Um, but again, like in my consulting, I thought thought about holism all the time. Would do you know we do research and strategy. We draw great concept diagrams and try to sell the vision. And then many times it didn't it didn't play out or it would play out, but it was missing those crucial elements that really mm -hmm. made it what it was. And it's never going to be the way you, you thought it would be on paper. But um, more more lately, I've been thinking more about about atomism and more about how companies operate and break things down and work separately, and how that makes things harder. But how it's not it's not. Uh, it's not something we need to, to just say, well, that's the way companies are and we should just give up or um, do the best we can with what we can control the, in digital or the touch point that we own and don't worry about the other things. I, I can't, I personally can't stop worrying about the other things in the big right. picture. And I, what I wanted to do was encourage everybody to, to communicate that to everybody that they work with. That's really what everyone's trying to do. And it's easy to get lost in your, your area of responsibility on what you own and can control um, but but uh, that's not going to get us where we know we need customer experience and user experience to go. Right. You can understand why the atomism became a thing. You know, as we came in the industrial age, you yeah. had the need to assign people to tasks. Um, it just feels like 
uh, only in the last like you know 10 years or so we've actually developed um, kind of these serious design practices that right. are more holistic but it's more now about finding the balance between the uh, the left brain and right brain thinking, because exactly. yeah. that's where the thing—that's the thing that—that's the thing that holds it together. Yeah, and that's one thing. I, and it, hopefully, I made it clear in the presentation and word sometimes that that I talked a little bit about kind of what the PMO doesn't do, uh, the Pro program management office, and that project management—that stuff is very, very much needed. Mm -hmm. that you really need that balance. Um, so talk a little bit about what you what you mean when you talk about the PMO, because yeah. So so what I talk about the, in the presentation is is that. Um, that, with the especially with the complexity of technology projects, like you said, the last ten or twenty years, what companies are finding is that this the the siloed hierarchical approach. Uh, there's a lot of issues in collaboration and communication, kind of getting things done. Mm -hmm. So, program management offices, what they help do is they help uh, you know run the portfolio of all the different projects mm -hmm. and try to find where there's overlaps and where there's redundancies. Try to drive out waste, but also try to report the status of projects. It's very focused on the status of projects. And, and green is you know, on budget, on time, and quality is a, is a questionable thing of whether how effective PMO measures quality and how quality is really defined. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, so that, that, that uh, ability to, to track all these things that are happening in the organization and try to organize them better is a good thing that the PMO, the PMO does. But what it doesn't do, and what I think that designers do, and, and information architects are, are is to be able to find those connections uh, across the different um, work streams that, that is going to be the experience and the design, and make sure that there's the right balance of consistency um, among all the different touch points, while also not being, you know, a slave to total consistency, which which isn't good, good either. Um, and so it's that that balance of of having project management looking after. Uh, making things move forward, and of course we don't want inefficiency. Right. Uh, but if we only uh, if we only uh, manage everything towards efficiency, then there's so much that's lost along the way, and that's why you know I think that's why a lot of um, corporations of all sizes can struggle with really achieving some of the strategic visions that they have and the level of quality that they really want to achieve. Do you think it has anything to do with the designers bent to making things? That, you know, we when we make something, we don't do, we don't atomize it to make it. We right. work with a bunch of people to create the artifact that shows everyone else what we want to make, who we want to then get on board to make it with us. Right. Right. So I just think that that's an interesting thing. Like you, you maybe yes. Like when you're managing a large organization, there's a certain amount of um, mechanization that needs to happen, but. In order, like as we, the designers generally operate somewhat below that very top level. Right. Well, and a lot of that, and and and, and uh, in a if, in a forty-five minute presentation, it's hard to get everything in. I, there, there's some other things that I that I had in earlier versions of, and things I'm just thinking about mm -hmm. from what I've seen is a lot. It, it's it's designers, if given the context, they'll do something with it. And I think you're right. A, a lot of times. Um, with those levels of hierarchy, once things kind of get split out into the different teams, if you have a team over in marketing that's doing, you know, uh, a brochure, and you have a team over in uh, the, for the web that's doing a web page, right. and that brochure is supposed to point you to the web page to finish something, um, they sometimes don't understand. They know that these are probably these are connected in the project, 
they might not fully understand how they're supposed to be connected in the experience. Right. Uh, and uh, so helping people understand that context is, is really important and reminding them there are some tools in the presentation around listing out all the different elements and, and, and showing where there's, there's specific bridges that should be built between uh, certain pieces of the experience mm -hmm. and how to do that. But, but from, 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 from companies I've worked with, the, the, the thing that I see about makers and craftspeople is um, I had a, had a slide in there of like Gollum with the ring and it's that this is what I can control this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to make this the, the best web page ever and I'm, I'm going to look at you know these the latest patterns and I'm just going to make this thing shine and show my value and what I can do uh, and especially younger designers can really fall into that mm -hmm. uh, and not think of the bigger picture of how you know that, that you see that happen alone with just like brand and, sure. and, and brands and style guidelines and stuff are like, look how creative I've been. But our brand is something different. You need to really pull it back. You need to make it part of the brand story. Uh, it's the same thing with cross-channel and, and just not seeing that in relation to the other pieces. And I think that's where information architects, because we are so obsessive about what all the pieces are and how they relate and how to connect them, um, if anyone's going to be the, the, the role that's really going to kind of keep that top of mind and incite people to do work within that more holistic context and orchestrate and kind of pull people together into the right rooms at the right time and put the pieces, separate pieces of, of the experience are being designed by different functions, put them like literally on the wall next to one another and mm -hmm. take a step back and look at it. We have the right skill set to do that. And, uh, uh, and a lot of people at the conference this year have been talking about you know, facilitation and design I think the more uh, senior you get, the more you realize that a lot of what you do is facilitation and that anyone starting out early in their design career should definitely uh, learn how to be a facilitator, learn how to give workshops, learn how to take a neutral position in critiquing work. Um, these things can, uh, these have so much value uh, to try to do this kind of more complex work. Well, the building bridges part was interesting mm -hmm. because, you know, it's, so easy as designers to when you stick your head out and try to put an idea forward and it gets smacked back you're you're so easy even as a consultant yeah to just do what they asked you to do and move on um but i like the way you talked about the bridges and about how you you go and you just informally get to know the other people so that you understand the context even better sometimes than some of the internal folks. Yeah, it, it, it really does pay off. And I mean, so much what we do in, in our field is about people and designing for people, but people are so critical to actually getting the work done. And I mean, it does take extra effort. It does, and it does, you know, for me, it does uh, require uh, drinking a lot of coffee. <laughs> but it's, uh, and, 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 you know, I'm pretty... Um, introverted by nature so it's not something that comes that natural to me but what I've learned through my career is it just pays off so well to go and, and get to pe know people uh, make those connections talk more about what they're doing than what you want them to do for you right um, and, and that in general is you know one of the things I don't think I said it in the presentation but one of the things I've been saying lately to people about cross-functional collaboration is you know, when you're a lot of the way these the, a lot of the way these initiatives happen is is that one part of the organization will have a vision 
that involves the rest of the organization getting behind it and then making changes or, or collaborating. And uh, I had a slide in the presentation about not stepping on people's toes and kind of knowing what people are doing and also knowing like when they are part of the, they should be part of the vision and part of the initiative. Right. Um, and so that when you're, when you're starting to socialize it and really trying to get something to really make it happen, you want them to feel like it's happening. You want them not to feel like, you want them to know it's happening with them, not to them. Right. And that is, I've seen that, I've seen that go both ways. I've seen it when, when parts of the organization feel like, you want to do what with what? <laughs> uh, to us, that's our, that's what we own, to being more consultative and thoughtful and getting people into the room early in the process and talking about ideas and have you thought about this before and just showing that, you know, uh, it's not that I know better than you about your part of the business. It's just that I may see something for the whole overall company where we can do a better job all together. It's a, and it's just a different mindset. And I see a lot of aggressiveness in different companies and uh, in a lot of politics. Mm -hmm. um, and what I just try to personally do in my consulting, and then this rare cases when I'm like at a company for a long time, to kind of lead by example and say, that's not gonna get us anywhere, you know? Well, I mean, that those skills, you know, your example is a consulting example, but you were at that company for 18 months. Yes, yeah. And so that basically, you know, anybody, consultant or not, can operate with that same, with these exactly. same tools. And I, and I had, uh, I had, you know, people come up to me after the talk saying, you know, I'm, uh, I work inside of a company and I'm trying to do these things. And, and I think in the talk I said, you know, maybe it's less risky for me because all, all I can do is get fired um, uh, and I'll go to another client. Right. But uh, one person came up to me and I said, no, actually, you know, you have to, you have to put your neck out there and uh, it's really not that risky if you mm -hmm. do it, do it right, which I completely agree with. I mean, people, I think people respect, respect people who are clearly showing they're thinking more about themselves, mm -hmm. about their role, their function, their project. They're thinking about the big picture and know how to, and, and show a willingness to collaborate. So that's why I talk about in the presentation about just being open to jump in and facilitate even meetings that aren't your own just to show you're all about people working well together and get moving forward you're not about mm -hmm. you know this is my meeting or I don't like how this meeting is being run so I'm just going to sit here on my hands like be constructive so just describe to me the situation how you approach that so say you're sitting in a meeting and like someone's kind of flubbing about and it's really boring and you're just going yeah. over the items like do you say what do you do? Well, I have my box. <laughs> so I, I, I have this little box I built that's uh, uh, a little game storm box. It's got like sticky notes mm -hmm. and pens and uh, dots. dots for dot voting mm -hmm. and things like that. And uh, uh, it's sitting on the table. <laughs> so it, it becomes part of the, in a way, in a weird way, it becomes like part of the brand, right? So like I'm the guy who's going to be in the meeting and, and just willing to help. And I've had people say, hey, can you facilitate this? And I've had sessions where, you know, they're not awful. They're not awful meetings, but like if I see the opportunity to say, hey, you know, maybe a, a better way to get to this would be to try this. And it's not that I just jump up and start taking it over. It's more of like, hey, do you mind if I'm very polite about it? Um, it doesn't. It, it happens. Doesn't happen that often, but it's. But I, I did notice that I got more people expecting that to happen in meetings more, which I think you know what what the game storming authors have really. You know, touched upon is that right. you know, 
once you do it a few times, like people, why why wouldn't you? You work that way, and and I think you know after my talk, Peter Moholtz spoke and talked about kinder, kindergarten and how like if we worked more like we played and, and learned in kindergarten, business would you know be more human and be more effective, and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, uh, but it, it's it, again, it's 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 almost like a, uh, it's like a willingness to serve for the bigger cause that everyone's there about. And, uh, and being start to being known is about that person who's really taking this more uh, higher road, constructive kind of attitude towards uh, facilitating people to work towards better design and better, not just better design, better like it's been operationalized and people are interacting with it and you're learning from it. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to get stuff done. People don't want stuff to die on the whiteboard, you know. Both. Both people inside and outside. Yes, exactly. It's, you know, the people that work with you on these projects, the consulting projects, like, you know, they've given you their time and, like, they may learn a little bit from just by going through the process, but they also want to see the thing that you guys came up with at least be tried because you won't do anything but learn from it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the things that I um, presented as tools were were things that weren't, um, it was very, they were very contextual in that I saw a problem that this will help me solve it, but I think they're very universal at the same time of things being used from service design, mm-hmm. uh, like blueprinting and, and um, customer journey mapping, and then taking inspiration from cinema of uh, working on consistency and the experience and how to track that and um, how to make the work more visual and iterative by putting things on walls and showing how different pieces fit, should be fitting together. And now, you call that rough cutting. Rough cutting, yeah. In uh, the the story you told, to tell tell a little bit of how that was set up because I liked the way that yeah. Kind of felt. So the the I had I had I had the idea of, uh, a few months ago. Um, I, I have a background in, in film and technology, so I, I was thinking I was thinking about you know we're always putting things on we're always putting things on the walls in user experience and. It's like, well, I'm, I'm working over here with a bunch of digital people, and, and uh, I'm working on a cross-channel uh, project. And then there's people working all over a large campus in several locations on other things that all are supposed to be part of this experience. It's in mm-hmm. multiple channels and multiple touch points. But I'm looking at the wall, and I'm saying, there's just our stuff. This doesn't make sense. So it's not, not effective enough. So I, I had this idea of, like, okay, well, like in an animated film, what you do is you have all these artists working on the film and the director's pulling together a rough cut. So a linear, you know, a, a version of the movie, it's linear. It has whatever fidelity everything's at at the time. So you may have some cells that are completely done, or some frames are completely done. You may have some line art. You may have some just words on the screen saying, in this scene, someone runs down the, down the road. Uh, and uh, we, after, after releasing a big cross-channel project, what I, what I decided to do, and actually had someone from my team, she facilitated it and did a really good job. Um, we built out a giant room with the entire experience and uh, everything up on the wall. So uh, marketing, advertising, uh, uh, in-store uh, things, uh, websites, brochures, signage, uh, training materials, er- everything, everything that was um, part of the experience. And then we also had feedback. We had qualitative and feedback, we had quantitative data about what was working, what wasn't working. Um, 
And then we brought in all the stakeholders, plus people who did actually did the design work. So we had people who work in all different media. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was about 50 people, 40 or 50 people. Uh, and we just walked them through it. Uh, reminded them who they, we, we had design personas, reminding them who they were designing for. We walked through the experience. We read through the data. Um, and then we then encouraged them with sticky notes to like, come up with ideas to make it better and said look the, and the important thing is you're not going to just say hey I, I'm the people who, I'm the person who did the brochure I'm going to tell you how my brochure can be better you can put it on anything you want and what I was trying to communicate in that session was that it, 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 was, it was one team and that some people were meeting each other for the first time some people I think people were seeing the work for the first time like oh I didn't know we did that <laughs> um, and it was it was pretty good work but there was there was definitely uh, some gaps, mm -hmm. and there are always those with complicated things, and this is kind of a big, um, big project. So, uh, so based off of that experience, what what uh, what we've been doing is then building that into the process along the way. And so you'll have a wall. They'll have, um, you know, it'll, it'll, once we go through the concepting and saying here's kind of the big elements of the experience, and then we'll have like a little sticky note on the wall saying, you know, um, signage and uh, training and uh, the website, whatever aspect of the touch point it is. And then when things start to come in, like a sketch or requirements or a comp or uh, uh, a role definition, mm -hmm. one of the recent things I did recently is like creating a new role, um, those go up on the wall and then you can take a step, and then you bring people in and look at it and say, is it gonna come together? Um, and, and based on the feedback I'm getting on some of the work that's now being implemented, it really helps. And and it, what's interesting about it is you're building this like really visual room, which is very appealing to right brain. You have stuff everywhere um, that's very visual. But then we also have the tools, like I showed in the talk, of you know like a list of all these elements, mm -hmm. which can get into the dozens. Here's all the things that have to be created and have to all fit together. And just the fact that people have that list in different functions in the company and see that they have elements 7, 10, 14, and 20 of 40, it just communicates the complexity and they'll look at the rest of the list and they'll come in the room. And it's hard. It's hard to get people to change behavior of wanting to work over here and right. you know to get uh, people who do physical design with together people who do digital design and actually get them to collaborate. And I, ha I and there's a lot of, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's also in the talk, it's a long journey. Um, right. It doesn't just happen on one project, but, but that's the concept of rough cutting is to, it's to, it's to, it's to be able to do walkthroughs of what it, what it might, might be like. Um, and see it as it develops. Yeah. Like. And see it as it develops and then, and then, you know, run scenarios against it. So like run a linear scenario like a customer who's, who's looking to accomplish this goal and goes on this journey and they will interact with these elements and like, does it work, you know? Can, and just catching things sooner in the process. That's why in film, it's really expensive to catch something in the editing room. It's much better, that's why you have a continuing director. It's better if you catch it where you can do a quick retake mm. the same day uh, than you're sitting in the editing room and then you realize you have this big issue that's causing a jarring, uh, a breakdown and a jarring moment between shots or scenes 
it's going to completely take someone out of the movie, and you, you can't go back and, and redo it. Right. And that's what I've, what I've learned in these cross-channel projects where you're explicitly trying to design them all together or you're trying to look at current state and improve them. It's, it's, it's on stage. It's there. Like, you're seeing it for the first time, like, oh, those don't work together. But that's when a lot of people see it for the first time. And so the other thing that, that another thing that I another kind of metaphor from art that I've been using is uh, our analogy is to try to do these dry runs and try to do these like rough cutting, do these things, and think about it as off Broadway as it is to Broadway. Like you got to get right. the kinks worked out, mm -hmm. uh, and in some of these, hopefully you can, especially once you get into physical space, you can prototype them and use that as your off Broadway before you <laughs> put it out to the world. But it's kind of communicating, you know, like you have to look at it, you have to critique it, you have to keep iterating on it. Um, but if you if you don't have all the right eyes looking at, at it and looking at it in context, uh, then uh, you just miss things. Thank you for tuning in to the Box Narrows podcast. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Many thanks to our sponsors, Vitamin Talent and Morgan Kaufman, for their generous support and without whom we could not bring you these shows. To hear and read more from the best in design from around the world, visit boxesnarrows.com and join the conversation.